Hey y'all, I just want to say before we get started, congratulations. Completing a first speech is a big thing. I'm really proud of y'all, and I can't wait to go in and watch each and every one of your speeches. If you didn't get your speech in for one reason or another, you need to contact me, and we need to have a conversation about it. So, today we are going to be talking about delivery. That's one of the biggest, most important parts of public speaking. But I just want you to be able this week to kind of kick back and rest in this feeling of victory. Being able to complete something like this really is cool. And I want you all to know that I appreciate the effort and work that's gone into doing it. All this online class stuff is hard, but you all are doing it. You're surviving and you're thriving. So hold that to yourself. Keep that up. Know that you're doing great. Know that you are capable of succeeding. I'm proud of you. Without further ado, let's talk delivery. So last week in class, I talked a little bit about the different types of public speaking. I talked about the differences between manuscript speaking, impromptu speaking, and extemporaneous speaking. And I want to dive into those just a, a little bit again so that we can talk about the best method of delivery for our public speeches. So manuscript speaking is where you take your whole speech, you type it out, and then you bring it with you to the speech and you just read off the sheet of paper. This is often done by politicians or city officials and it's done because those people don't want to mess up a single word that they say. And frankly, it's a little important that they don't mess up. A president doesn't want to slip up on a speech and say something he or she shouldn't. So typing out a speech for those people, for very, very important speeches that require precision, makes sense. There are some issues with manuscript speaking, though. One, because you're reading, you're not making any eye contact with your audience. This diminishes the impact you can have on your audience. The audience doesn't feel like you have a connection with them, and you end up coming across cold, and all the benefits of going into public to speak in the first place go away. Eye contact is the key to so much of good public speaking. It's something that I wish we could work on more. Um, given that we're speaking online, you have to make eye contact with the camera lens. So even in the situation that we're in, where we're giving these speeches distance, we still have to try to make a form of artificial eye contact by looking at the camera lens. Otherwise, the people watching our speech aren't really going to feel as though they're watching it, they're being talked to. So there's some issues with manuscript speaking. On the other end of the spectrum, you have impromptu speaking. Now, impromptu speaking is where you don't prepare for your speech at all. You wing it. You go up there and you just go for it. I've done a lot of impromptu speaking in my time. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you. I've impromptu spoken a lot. Gosh, um, I remember this time that I emceed an event. I, it was a fundraiser event, and they needed someone to come up and, and do some speaking to introduce different people who were coming up and doing performances. I remember there was one guy who was going to break baseball bats with his feet um, for money. Charities in Oklahoma are a little weird. So <laughs> um, so I got up there, and I tried to work the crowd, and it, I had great energy. 
Um, being impromptu gives you great connection, great energy. You can respond to people. You can move around and really dive in to, to the moment. You live in the moment when you're impromptu speaking. But the lack of preparation can come around and bite you. I didn't have a ton of stuff prepared, so I ended up making some jokes that did, landed a little less well than they ought to have. I, I, I stumbled a lot on the things that I was saying. Impromptu speaking sometimes is necessary because you don't know that you're about to give a speech, but it's, it's much better if you have at least some preparation ahead of time. So there is another form of speaking that we are going to use called extemporaneous speaking. And it tries to take the best of both worlds. It tries, to take, it tries to take all the preparation of the manuscript speech and all the fun on your toes atmosphere of the impromptu speech and molds them together. So what it looks like is this. You take an outline, you make an outline of your speech instead of writing it out word for word. You just write down your main points you get an idea of where you're going to go, and then you practice that. You've done all the research, you've come up with the stories you want to say, but you just run through it without reading it out loud. And what this does for you is when you're in an audience, when you're looking at an audience, if they seem bored, you can speed things up, or you can tell a joke to try to capture their attention. If the audience seems angry, you can go back and adjust the words that you're using to describe whatever it is you're talking about. If they seem confused, you can go back and restate something you just said in a more easy to understand method. So having the opportunity to adjust mid-speech is so important, but you can't do that without having just a guideline to follow that you can alter on the fly. So that's extemporaneous speaking. There's different definitions of it, but that essentially is what it is, and that's what we do. Now, there is a fourth type of public speaking, and my wife always reminds me about this because this is what she did in high school, and that is the memorized speech. Um, there are still people who do memorized speeches. In fact, internationally, memorization is still a popular method of delivering a speech. This is where you write out your speech word for word, just like in manuscript speaking, but then you put it to memory. So that when you deliver that speech, you don't need the paper, but you're still saying everything word for word. This is a very powerful method of delivery, but it comes with its own set of issues. Mainly that you still have the issue where if you don't feel like you can adjust to what your audience is doing, what they're feeling, then you're in the same boat as manuscript speaking. You can't deviate from what you prepared. It's also dangerous because if you haven't memorized it super well, you could trip up. And if you trip up and can't find your way back, it could lead to lengthy pauses that really hurt your delivery. Pausing for 30 seconds in the middle of the speech to remember what you were going to say next isn't a great look. Now, I have a lot of students who try to memorize their speeches, and I appreciate that. But the best method for your own sanity and for your ability to make it to the end of your speech is to just come up with an outline and practice it multiple times to where you're not trying to say the exact words over and over, but you're trying to express the same ideas over and over. That's the core of what we're doing. We're trying to understand our ideas so well that we don't need to have 
the word-for-word -word layout. It can be like as if we're talking about something that we're passionate about. I could probably give you an impromptu speech right now about one of my favorite movies. Um, and I could do that without preparation because I know a lot about this. I've already prepared in a sense because I'm passionate about this topic and I know a lot about it. And that's where with each speech topic you give, that's where we want to get to where we know what we're talking about so well that we barely even need the note card that we talked about in Zoom over last week. We can just go up there and talk about it in an organized and passionate fashion. That's what extemporaneous speaking does for us. And that is the speaking that we're trying to do in this class. Before I jump into the different parts of good delivery, I want to give a little pre-note. Delivery depends almost entirely on enthusiasm. If you are enthusiastic about the subject that you are talking about, and if you bring that enthusiasm and let it show when you're speaking, by and large, your delivery of that speech will be very good. You can't fake enthusiasm. I had a buddy once who tried. He wants to be a politician someday. He's in law school right now. He's doing his best. But when I used to hear him speak, he had this pretense to his voice. He delivered with what most people would consider a good delivery, but it didn't come across authentic. He didn't bring his personality, his true authentic self. We need to bring our true authentic selves to our speeches. If you talk about something you're not enthusiastic about, that you don't care about deeply, your delivery isn't going to hold up. It's just there's no way to make it. On the opposite side, if you are enthusiastic, if you bring your passion, then these tips, they're going to come second nature to you. The things that I'm going to talk about will really just come out of you naturally. So with that said, I want to jump into delivery and talk about the two different sides of it. There's the voice and then there's the body. I'm going to talk about each one. So starting with your voice, the baseline necessity out of public speaking delivery is you have to be loud enough for people to hear you. I know this sounds basic, but this is really the fundamental element. And a lot of people have to work really hard to get to the point where they are loud enough for other people to hear them when they're delivering a speech. When we're giving speeches in person in this class, we never use microphones. So you have to be loud enough for the people on the back row to be able to hear you. This still matters even with digital delivery. So in this case, in digital delivery, oftentimes you're competing with other noises. So I'm listening to my room right now. I've got a little bit of an air conditioner sound going. I'm actually recording from my office today instead of from my closet. So I had the air conditioner sound, and it's possible, because sometimes this happens, that someone will start playing music outside my window. I don't want to have to compete with that noise. Perhaps you have a loud fan going, or you can hear someone washing dishes in the other room. These are sounds that might clog your sound. They might keep me or your audience members from being able to hear your voice, and it's very important that your voice be heard. If audiences can't hear you, they won't understand or care about the things that you're saying. There are ways to improve your volume. 
and one of those is speaking from your diaphragm. The diaphragm is a muscle that runs across your stomach. Breathe in real deep for me real quick. Now, some of you may notice when you breathe in deep that your stomach extends or your shoulders extend. So when I breathe typically, my shoulders go up. But the idea is if we're wanting to talk loudly, we need to talk from the stomach. So if you are breathing primarily from your stomach, your stomach goes in and out when you breathe, that's going to give you a more powerful delivery. It'll allow you to speak louder and to be heard more easily. We did that a lot in choir back in the day. Um, so it's a legit thing. <laughs> this checks out. So if you are having trouble with your volume, try breathing in a specific way, using your stomach, using that diaphragm. The next base element is not speaking in monotone. So let me show you what monotone speaking is like. It's basically where you just sort of talk in the same pitch and at the same speed for a long period of time and it really shows that you don't care very much about the subject that you're talking about. At least you don't care enough to bring your enthusiasm for that subject into your public speaking. That's monotone. The way to get around monotone first and foremost is speak about things you care about. If you talk about things that you care about your delivery will automatically improve and you'll have more animation and excitement in your voice than you would have otherwise. But there are times that we have to give speeches about things that we're less than excited about and we still have to bring in good delivery when giving those speeches. So there are a couple different elements that we're now going to talk about that will show you how to build solid delivery even if you don't care about what you're talking about. We focus on the rate of speaking, the pitch, we talk about pausing, and then our articulation. So rate is the speed at which you speak. If you look at great speakers, they don't talk for the same speed all the time. Monotone speakers keep the same speed going the entire time, but people who are very good at public speaking know that they can slow down or speed up and cause people to understand or be moved by what they're saying. So MLK, right? That guy, I'm trying to remember which speech it was that he gave, but one of his speeches, he starts out talking at about, I think it was 60 words per minute. And by the end of the speech, he was talking at about 150 words a minute. Now, I know it's hard to compare, but we can see that he talked like twice as fast as he did at the end of the speech than he did at the beginning. So you can use rate to influence the energy of your speech. If I'm talking fast, that's a sign that I'm excited. I'm getting across information to you quickly. But if I want something to sink in, I might speak a little bit slower and hope that that helps you pay more attention to what I'm saying. So that is how we use rate to our advantage. There are some base things to, to worry about. You don't want to talk so fast that the audience can't follow along. You need pauses. You need to speak at a rate at which the audience can understand you because if you move too quickly, they're going to lose you. 
the best thing to do, again, is to practice your speech in front of an audience and see what they think. There is delivery that's too slow out there. Um, that does happen, but it's better to be a little on the slower side and have everyone understand you than to lose them completely. So keep that in mind. Uh, so varying speed, that is a part of vocal variety. This is the idea, the technique of changing things like your volume, your speed, the number of pauses you throw in, and the pitch of your voice to get different reactions out of people at different times. This is the strategy of vocal delivery. So pitch, really quick, that is the way, that's how high or low your voice is. Most of us have heard of that before, but if I'm talking up here, I'm talking with a pretty high pitch. And if I'm talking down here, I'm talking with a little bit lower of a pitch. My voice is really high pitched. <laughs> um, that's just me, but I can still go really high up if I need to, and then come back down if I want a different effect. Varying that gives me different tones across my speech, just like I did with rate. I can change the speed, I can change the pitch, and then I can work with my pauses. If I pause, especially in a speech that's in person, where people can see me, if I pause, I can draw attention to the things that I'm saying. I tend to find that if I have to search for a word for a second, if I really try to find the right word for something, and I take a second to figure out what it is, my audience will wait in anticipation to see what it is that I'm going to say. Pauses at the beginnings or ends of sentences are better than pauses in the middle of sentences, but the point is that you want your pause to be purposeful. You want to decide to pause and to use that to get a reaction, to, to cause an effect on your audience. So people talk about the dramatic pause all the time. We don't want to always be trying for an artificial dramatic pause, but we don't want all of our sentences to run into each other either. Pauses are another great way to give your speech some differentiation and to get different reactions from your audience. Now, there's a way to ruin a pause, and that is to say, um. So, um, if I put an um into my sentence, like to try to fill it, you know, I'm going to cause the audience to think that I don't know what I'm talking about, because that's how we're hot-wired to think. If we put in an um, or a like, or a you know, Audiences are going to think that we aren't very prepared. And that's so different from if I just pause and let it hang in the air. If I have a blank space that I don't fill with anything, that just gets attention. People don't assume that I don't know what I'm talking about. They just assume that I'm thinking. So practice keeping the ums out of your speeches. Don't fill the space. That space is valuable. That is prime real estate. If you can sit back in a space where you don't quite know what to say and just let the pause hang in the air, people will feel like you planned it. And you'll come across smarter as a result, especially than you would if you fill that space with an um. That's just perception. It has no... People, people who are smart say um all the time. It's just the way people see people who say um. So that's another thing to keep in mind. 
The book also focuses on something that I find a little bit difficult to talk about, which is the pronunciation of words. So the book is going to argue that you ought to use the Queen's English, um, that you need to figure out the exact right way to pronounce a word and then pronounce it that way all the time. It's also going to say that you're never supposed to use words like gonna um, instead of going to. I'm going to go to the store versus I'm going to go to the store. I don't buy into that. I think that the words that we choose should be appropriate to the occasion. So if it's a really serious formal occasion, I'm not going to use the word ain't, for instance. But I also think there's a value in speaking the way that people speak and speaking especially the way that your audience speaks. So if the occasion isn't a super formal one, you want to pronounce words you want to pronounce words correctly, especially if it's a word that you've written but not said before. I've had people use long words that they wrote in their outlines that they forgot to actually try to pronounce out loud. And then they try to pronounce it for the first time in their speech and they realize they don't know how that word's pronounced. That's okay. There are tons of words that I know I mispronounce and words that I'm learning every day. The process of like building vocabulary and learning new words, it carries on your whole life. And it's so much easier because we have these phones now. You don't have to go to a dictionary to figure out what a word means and how it's pronounced. If you have a word and you're not sure how it should be pronounced, Google it. There's very likely a little like sound icon that will play you someone saying the word. YouTube is also fraught with videos that will show you how to pronounce words that, that you don't know. This is if you're learning a new word. It's very important that you stay true to who you are. There are people who will change their accent, who will change the way they speak depending on audience. George W. Bush, when he's giving a speech in Texas, he sounds a lot more like a hick, but if he's giving a speech in New England, he sounds a lot less like someone from Texas. That is sleazy to me. I don't care for that a whole lot. And I also don't think you should have to code shift every time that you're talking to an audience. It's important to talk in a way that you can be understood by people, but it's also important to talk in a way that is aligned with who you are, where you came from, and the culture that you ascribe to, the culture that you're a part of. A part of. So don't let the book or anyone else tell you that you have to talk in a specific way, in some sort of mainstream fashion. But keep in mind that you really want people to understand the things that you're saying. So there's a line to be written there. I don't know where to draw it all the time, but I know that it's important for audiences to try to learn to understand people who talk differently than they do. I remember when I was in school, I had a buddy named Sang. And he was from India, and he had a thick Indian accent. Sang was a great guy, and I had to just work to understand him better. Because at first, I missed a lot of what he said. He had that thick accent. Over time, though, as I spent more time with him, it got easier. It got easier to understand what he was saying. So there is a responsibility both on your part to be understood, but on the audience's part to, to work to understand you. So when you read things about, again, about pronunciation and articulation, you want to be loud enough for people to hear you. So you want to work past a mumble. But the way you pronounce words and the words that you use, be true to yourself before you're true to anyone else.
that's what I have to say about voice. So in addition to verbal delivery, you also have nonverbal delivery. This is what you do with your physical self uh, while giving a speech. When we talk about celebrity photographs, we often talk about why the heck do guys not know what to do with their hands? This is the problem that we approach when we talk about delivery. So audiences really do pay attention to what you do with your body when you're giving a speech. In fact, they say that a massive percentage of what you communicate comes from your physical actions, your body language. This includes your facial expressions, your hand gestures, your body movement, and your appearance. Audience members interpret speakers' attitudes towards the audience, the speech, and the occasion largely through their nonverbal behavior. So if you come in to a public speaking experience and you're slouching or looking around just kind of confused or just kind of kicking the ground, that's all signs that you don't want to be there. And that's not something you want to give your audience. So what I see with a lot of first-time public speaking students is fidgeting, basically. Um, so what will happen is, if you have a note card, for instance, uh, someone might play with that note card. Let me give you an idea of why that's a problem. Got my note card from earlier today. Now, if I decide that I'm gonna play with my note card while um, I'm speaking, that's all you're gonna be able to hear. So there's distracting motion like that. Um, people will often fidget with their clothing. So I've had people wear jackets and play with a button or a zipper the entire time. I've seen people take their hands in and out of their pockets. Um, or if there's a table nearby, they'll grab the table and drum their fingers on it. These are all distracting motions. Um, legs, that's another thing. People will shift from leg to leg and that's fine, but if they kick or if they scratch one leg with the other, um, that can be really tough. And the reason that we do this is because we're nervous and we have energy that we need to get out. So the idea is not to eliminate all movement. The idea is to find ways to get that movement out that audiences that, that, that will show audiences that we care about the things that we're talking about and we care about them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, what I like doing in a physical space is walking around. So I figure out pretty quickly what the length and width of my stage is. We'll just call it a stage. Generally, it's the front of a room. And I decide to walk through different parts of that. Not fast. I don't pace like a caged animal or anything. Um, but say for my first point, I might mosey on over to the left side of the room. And what that does for me is it helps me let the people on the left side of the room feel as though I care about them and that they're important that I want to talk to them. I'll still look over and make eye contact with the people on the right side of the room. I'll still look at the center of the room, but I'll stand closer to the people on the left. This allows me to make really direct eye contact with those people on the left and for them to feel as though I'm having a good conversation with them. Then for point number two, I might move to the center of the room, do the same thing, 
come back to the right side of the room for point number three and then end maybe in the center of the room. I like this type of motion a lot. It helps me get out my nervous energy. If I'm able to move around a little bit, that helps a ton. I'm also very expressive with my hand motions. I use my hands when I talk. I know that comes naturally to some people and less naturally to other people. The, big, the biggest thing to know about using your hands is what some different hand gestures are interpreted to mean. Like if you show audiences your open palms, so I want you to picture, I want you to picture someone, maybe yourself, maybe another speaker, um, and you're standing across from them. If they point a finger at you, that's not going to feel great. If they keep their hands folded in front of them, that can be good. But when they bring their hands up and out and open them and expose their open palms to the audience, believe it or not, that invokes a feeling of trust. Uh, scientists have tried to explain this by saying that um, it's it's an early sign that uh, that early people use to, to see, oh, this person's not carrying a weapon. This person's like, because they're not holding anything, we can trust them we, to not stab me or something. <laughs> it's a little bit unclear as to why human beings feel this way, but when we show our open palms to the audience, uh, the audience trusts that we mean them no harm. So that is kind of an interesting thing to do. Um, that extends to the entire body a little bit. If you cross your arms, you're closing off your body. If you try to make yourself small like that, um, or expose it, it gives your audience this impression that you have something to hide. But if you hold your arms out and express with them and, and again expose those palms and use your hands in a meaningful gesture, it opens you up and makes you less threatening. It seems as though you have nothing to hide. This helps your credibility. Um, so another thing to focus on is your facial expressions. So this is where this is where having a customer service smile might really come in handy. I sometimes have to work to smile when I'm in a public speaking situation because it's hard. I get nervous and I get anxious and if my audience is smiling is not smiling at me, I won't want to smile at them. But I need to because smiles and good vibes, if I may use such a term, they're contagious. If I smile at my audience, I'm going to put them at ease. Uh, and they may start smiling back at me. So often, I can set the entire emotional mood of a room um, just by smiling and continuing that smile for as long as I can, leading up to me starting my speech and then while I'm speaking. If I'm able to smile, um, it gives me more confidence, it helps them to relax, they start smiling, that reinforces my smile, and all of a sudden before you know it, everyone's having a good time. That is something worth, <laughs> worth remembering to do. Smiling can be a very effective method in most forms of public speaking. Now obviously there's times that you don't want to smile. You want your facial expressions, by and large, to match the tone of what you're talking about. So I've had people smile while telling me how their aunt died. That's not a good vibe. If you smile while talking about something really sad, it's going to throw both you and the audience off. 
So if you're talking about something that's sad, you can sound sad. You, your facial expressions and your body posture can seem sad. It's about matching. It's about being authentic and keeping track of your emotions and your facial expressions enough to know whether you're being authentic to the things that you're talking about or whether you're just responding to the stress of giving a speech. You want your posture to reflect the things that you're saying, not the way you might be feeling about giving a speech at any given time. I've already talked a little bit about eye contact. That's super important. Um, but let me tell you, tell you a little bit about how to do that in, in the case of an in-person speech. Again, when we're giving speeches online, you want to look and keep eye contact with the camera lens. But when you're speaking in public, you want to make eye contact. And you want it to be real eye contact. You don't want to just stare around where someone is or stare at the back of the room. You want to actually lock eyes with people uh, periodically. Now, if you're nervous about eye contact, there are ways to get around this. Looking at people's foreheads or noses is very effective at a distance. Um, if you feel nervous about actually looking someone in the eye, you can do that. But it's also important that you vary who you're looking at. Um, this is something I've had to practice a ton, is making sure that I'm not just focusing on one person. This is something that public speaking students often do, is when they're giving a speech, they'll just look at me. They'll make lots of eye contact with me, or they'll make eye contact with their best friend in the room, but they won't make eye contact with the whole audience. But you want to roam. You don't want to stare someone down the entirety of your speech. You want to look at one person, and then maybe shift a second or two later to another person in the room. I love it when students are able, speakers in general, are able to give everyone in the room a little bit of direct, real eye contact throughout their speech. If, they, if you can hit every person in the room, you've really achieved something good. That is worth it. Uh, that makes audiences feel as though you are actually speaking to them, and that gives all your words so much more impact. Eye contact is one of the biggest things that we're going to talk about. It's one of the things that I grade for the most because it's really, really that worth it. I've already mentioned a little bit that you can use your body movement to establish whether it's a formal speech or an informal speech. The less motion you have overall, the more formal the occasion will feel. Um, the more you move, the more relaxed it will be. And, when, and if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense given the type of speaking that we watch. So we've seen comedians go on stage and wave their arms around. That's a lot of what I do is I wave my arms around. But when a president gives a speech, like if Barack Obama were uh, during one of his speeches were to talk, he will have hand gestures, but he will normally stand at a podium and keep overall pretty still. That's because the occasion is more formal. So I wish I could tell you how to use hand gestures all the time, but really there's an art to it that can't be explained briefly on a podcast. You want to feel comfortable, you don't want to think about it too much, but you also don't want your hands doing things they shouldn't be doing. Again, messing with your clothes, with your note card. You want to just act natural, whatever the heck that means. Um, I may try to find Colin Powell, actually. 
um, gave a talk one time about how he uses hand gestures, and I thought that it was really interesting. So I'm actually going to pull that up, and I'm going to post that to D2L so that you all can look at that if you like, because he had some good, some good thoughts. But the biggest thing is just make your hand gestures match what you're doing. Don't let them wander. It's more about what not to do with your hands than what to do with your hands, if that makes sense. Finally, I've had some people ask a little bit about how should I dress when giving a speech? Well, you should dress exactly the way you want to be perceived and exactly the way you want the occasion to be perceived. So I've had people come in band uniforms if they're talking about band. I've had people come wearing like a t-shirt with a movie character on it if they're giving a speech about that movie. So these are good ways to match what you're talking about to the way that you're dressed. If you want people to take your message very seriously, you want to dress nice. Um, you want to dress at least business casual most of the time. So there's a reason that I don't come to class wearing a t-shirt. It's because I want you all to feel as though I came prepared. I want to be perceived as someone who cares about the details. If you don't dress nice, people are going to presume that you don't care super much about the details. But there are times when being dressed down works. It just depends on the occasion. Whatever you're doing, think to yourself, okay, what is appropriate? What is going to get the reaction out of my audience that I want? That is how to guide yourself. And to, to think that way, you have to be engaged with the occasion, engaged with the speech, and engaged with the expectations of the people around you. You have to really think about it. There's no hard and fast rule that says that you have to wear a suit and a tie or a dress or a skirt um, or high heels or something. It just depends on how you want people to perceive you and how you're getting your message across. Finally, um, I already said finally, but just as a just as a, a one last note, practice is going to help with all of this. You bring your enthusiasm and then you run through the speech several times before giving it. This will allow you to get comfortable and that will in turn relax your posture, relax your hand gestures, relax your voice, and give you the type of authentic delivery that you're looking for. Free from the little signs of nervousness and authentic to the emotion and the vibes of what you are saying. That is what we are hoping to achieve, both with our verbal and with our nonverbal communication. Well, y'all, that is it for today. So here's a preview of what this week looks like. We have a discussion board. We have discussion boards every week. You need to make an initial post and then respond to someone else's comment on that post. We are going to be gearing up towards our second speech. That will be due at the end of next week. And this is going to be an interesting experience. This will be a, they, what do they call this? This is the alternate speech. And what you will be doing here is focusing almost completely on delivery by performing a speech that you didn't write. So I say speech, it could be a poem, it could be a spoken word piece, it could be slam poetry. Um, it could be just another speech that someone has written in the past that you really like. You will get to pick out your own speech 
um, from other works, and I'll, I'll try to find some good examples of these so that you can you can find this. But if you're a fan of slam poetry or spoken word, this is a great opportunity to take one of your favorite pieces and translate it your own way. Do it your own way with your own sense of style. And this is a great place to start working on your delivery. So that will be due around the end of next week. In the meantime, kick back because you just finished your first speech. I will be grading those. Uh, very soon. That may take me a minute to do because there's 120 public speaking students and it takes me about eh, 15 minutes each to grade speeches. I need to get a little bit faster because it's just going to, it's going to take me roughly three hours, no, six hours to listen to them all straight through anyway. So I will be getting you feedback though. And that feedback will be very important for you continuing forward. I really focus in and try to give you good advice that will help you to improve your speaking. So pay attention to that discussion board. Make sure you hit that. If you have any questions, let me know. Zooms are all optional this week, but I will be talking mostly about material like this um, and holding the Q&A sessions that we've come to be accustomed to. If you need anything at all, let me know. You can get to me through email. That's a dtom34 at linkston.edu or through the Remind app. I'm very good about answering texts on Remind. I appreciate y'all listening in, tuning in today. I'll talk to you again real soon.